What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, March 7th, 2021, and this week's episode, Polish Power Prevails. We'll be recapping UFC 259, the big victory by Jan Blachowicz, Amanda Nunez, and of course, the wild Bantamweight title fight between Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news, Dana White looking to push to move the events to Texas, Hamzat retiring, then Dana White correcting everybody, and then of course we will talk about this coming Saturday, Leon Edwards taking on Bilal Muhammad in an important welterweight fight. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Welcome back from Sin City. And, Thank you. And uh, how did... Uh... Now, you've, you've been doing a couple, a couple, a lot of these uh, Apex fights. How does this compare, just real quick, to, to some of the other ones? We had a little bit of controversy, some drama. I mean, what was the vibe? So, what I will say is that this was the first apex event where all of the media was allowed inside the building the last few times it's been we're in the tent and then you know the john morgans and other people a select few they do their thing octagon side but for the most part all the video people they are in a completely separate not even through the front doors all that jazz gotcha so uh this is the first time we were all in there and also uh you'll see on the broadcast i don't know if it comes up but there were a number of select fans who are actually allowed in the apex now i don't know the deal but i can tell you they were there um so not enough to make a dent i would count probably under 20 but um for sure there was a couple moms and dads with their kids wearing their habib and style bender stuff and so it was one of those nights Wow. Yes. And in terms of the energy, I can say that uh, just I would say since the pandemic era and mind you, this is respectfully not doing the first fight island, which was bonkers. But at least in Las Vegas, this was probably the biggest event on U.S. soil since that Adesanya Blahovich fight. Even with the, you know, the Amanda Nunes and the Stipe's and all these other pay-per-views we've had, this was by far the one that got everyone the most pumped up. I think it's because uh, at least that top part of the card, it had so much star power. So I will tell you that it was, I, I got the vibe. There was a little more juice in the building for this one, for sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, welcome back. Thank you. Let's get into it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's start with this main event. Israel Adesanya moving up, trying to become a double champ, taking on the reigning champion, Jan Blahovich. And uh, Natalie, initial thoughts on this one? Very, very shocked on the disparity on the feet, technically. I I really felt like despite um, the fact that he was never dropped, the control that Adesanya had, just the output, the accuracy, just the... I felt like he was leading a lot of the dance. Um, I hate to boil it down to a few points, but I think, honestly, uh, a little bit of defense and Blahovich's size and power bailed him out of trouble. I think that um, 
Adesanya being a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. This is probably a very one-sided fight. But I think the fact that Blahovich, when he did touch Adesanya, he was doing just a little more noticeable damage. The fact that um, he defended a lot of the shots, not all of them. He certainly got popped a few times, but he did overall defend himself very well against Adesanya. That's what got the job done. And then, of course, he got those critical takedowns in rounds four and five. But um, initial thoughts, Adesanya looked good. Not fantastic at light heavyweight. And for Jan Blahovich, I think that you were just reminded how um, well-rounded he is and just uh, that veteran savvy that he brings to the game at this stage of his career. That was a pretty excellent breakdown there, man. I don't want to. I don't want to touch it too much because you, you nailed it. Um, the size size matters. Israel was doing mostly all the right things until the takedowns, of course, and then didn't really have much to say for himself on his back there. That was the the big the big difference maker, and it was obvious there how much the size also made a difference. Just just the weight of a giant Jan Blahovitz on top of you, like all the technique in the world, eh, couldn't help couldn't help Israel. Um, yeah, Israel came out fast, sharp, you know, moving, touching, accurate. Uh, landed some some great kicks, shots, uh, leg kicks, and all that. And every time Blahovitz landed stuff, which was which which happened, even a head kick, I think, I was kind of stunned that Adesanya was was basically okay. Uh, but you know, maybe Jan was was just warming up. Maybe he put and put all the steam in it on it. So mostly, though, I was I was surprised at um, how well Blahovitz stayed. Pl- you know, played the game, man. Like Adesanya is known for his for his skillful, masterful striking, and Blahovitz was there. He hung in there right right there with him the whole time. And then when he when he <laughs> took it up a notch and said, "Okay, now let's play this way instead of on our feet. Let's play on the on the ground." And, uh, well, that was all she wrote for Israel Adesanya. Now, he's a really smart dude. He's a very skillful fighter. So disappointed, yes, he's probably very disappointed, but not dismayed because he knows how he knows what he did in there. He knows what more he could have done. And now the question, of course, is will he get another opportunity at this title? Eh, probably not. But you learn a lot and uh, you move on and, and uh, you know, I don't say he has to rebuild his brand, but you got to get people excited again for your next fight, wherever that's going to be. And, uh, you know, it'll be fun to watch and, and fun to see how he comes out against his next opponent. Does he want to just shut it down as quickly as possible to remind everybody or, you know, is he going to be a little gun shy? I don't, I doubt it, but you know, you never know. I mean, for myself and, um, I guess, uh, real quick, do we have any more to add for the X's and O's on the actual 25-minute fight itself? No, nah, man. Move on? No, nah, we're good. Yeah, I think, we, yeah, I think so. I, I would say conservative uh, groundwork from Jan. He was never looking to submit him. It was really to hold him down and try to get enough shots on the feet going. So um, I think that's just something to be just acknowledged he was never looking to try to choke out Adesanya he knew that above all else you need to keep this amazing striker down um I want to start with Jan Blahovich because I think we'll have plenty of uh speculation for Adesanya uh I don't think he's gonna have too long of a layoff 
I don't think they're going to turn them around quickly. So, for example, the May pay-per-view that is just kind of ominously left without a main event. I don't think they're going to get them back that fast. But I could see an August-September return against Glover Tashira. And then after that, I mean, Alexander Rokic got a victory uh, to open the night. He's up there, and you can imagine a backup scenario, but... In terms of Jan, what I like about his current run is that he's actually set himself up pretty well. There's not too many obvious suspects. He's, you know, after Reyes and then John Jones left, you have Glover who's on a great run. But, you know, he's done a good job. He's really the guy at light heavyweight right now. He's on the longest win streak. I think collectively he's on the best kind of run. And so I just really like that fight going forward for him. Um, thoughts on his future with Glover. And then secondly, do you feel like Jan with this one, he can carry a pay-per-view by himself? Because it, he's been always paired off with other uh, other championships so far on his pay-per-views. So as far as Glover goes, I think that's, you know, he's no Glover's the number one contender. It makes sense. You know, they've got Santos at two still, even though he, he, he just lost Reyes at three. John beat him and uh, doesn't get that interesting beyond that, beyond those rankings. So give it to Glover. He deserves it. That's going to be a fun one. How much time does Jan need before he can get back in there? Probably not too long. You know, maybe just your standard, you know, three months, two, three months. Um, and... Uh, then as far as him being able to carry a pay-per-view on his own, I'm not, you know, we're, we're talking mainstream fans, right? Will they be interested? Yeah, I think, I think, I think yes. It's going to be like one of those that, you know, probably doesn't do as well. But it's, it's still enough. He's a name. He beat the bigger name, one of the biggest stars of the UFC. It wasn't like a thrilling drag-out war, but it, I mean... There was no question that Jan Blachowicz beat Israel Adesanya. You know, it was a clear victory, and uh, and so in that regard, no question uh, about his um, his skills and 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 about the retaining the championship. Right, that's that's unquestionable. Yeah, I think I think he can. I think they would give it give it to him. And again, not going to be the most uh, viewed pay per view, but it, but it is. It's you know, it's still. It's still exciting to see what he's going to do next. He's a big dude. He had to be careful with Adesanya because of the kind of fighter he is. But I think when he's fighting someone in his own, like naturally in his own division, you get a little more fire under, under him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm already going to pay for it no matter what. So <laughs> it doesn't matter for me. I think that um, I don't think he gets credit for how funny he is. Like, yeah, they're asking yeah. him about Glover, and he's like, well, yes, I think he needs to be next because, you know, he's getting older. And I was like, my man, you just, with the nicest voice, just the most savage compliment. <laughs> that was the most backhanded compliment. Of course he's next. I can't make him wait too long. He's getting old. And I'm like, yeah. damn. <laughs> you know, some lethal firepower on the mic, too. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh I will say I think he's similar to Kamaru Usman and I mean I say this respectfully he's not a guy where the talk 
comes to him naturally. That's just not who he is as a person. And in terms of the way he kind of plays the game, I think getting into some kind of war of words or anything like that, a la Michael Bisping or one of the um, some of these other guys from Europe over the years, it, it just isn't going to come out right. And I completely respect that. I actually find that a very endearing quality about him and listening to him. But the fact remains that outside of like a John Jones, it, does he have matchups that right now scream pay-per-view blockbuster? I can't say they are. And that's no knock on him. He's been going out there and he's been sleeping several elite level guys. Your Luke Rockholds, Corey Andersons and the like. So I do want to acknowledge he's doing all the right things by himself. I think it's just the way that the, you know, the way these things work, you know, I think at this time he's a little more of a reserved guy and he doesn't have that other opponent right now at light heavyweight that you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be one of those epic ones because of all this buildup. And, you know, that just is what it is, but he's the best light heavyweight in the world right now. I'm very interested to see how long he can uh, keep this up because he's on a great run and I think that's uh, just a very good time in the light heavyweight division to have a bit of a new face and some new blood in there in terms of Adesanya I mean we brought this up um first I'm gonna pour one out for the John Jones mega fight oh so close and yet (laughs) so far away right yeah um you know After losing Tony Habib, it doesn't hurt as much, but there was rightfully a lot of reason to be pumped up about it, and I said it. This was the last step for uh, Israel to do his half for that fight. Now looking at this one for him, um, very bluntly, I think he should look at the winner of Vittori Till. I think the Whitaker fight... If Rob beats Costa, yes, that he he deserves it. It should be him. But then that fight was so one-sided for Whitaker, you know, for Israel against Whitaker. Same thing with Paulo Costa. Yes, he's a big name. He'd be knocking off Robert Whitaker going into a rematch. But the nature of those fights, to me, when I think about, okay, what am I emotionally invested in? It's watching Adesanya possibly add more scalps as he would say just more names to his resume a middleweight and in that sense yes Darren Till is the kind of the last man standing Marvin Vittori it's he's kind of got the Leon Edwards thing going on he lost a really close fight to Israel and since then he's beaten a bunch of dudes and he's on a great run going into a possible fight with him uh, and rematch but you know, you kind of like with Kamaru and then with Leon. I mean, Kamaru hasn't missed a step in the same way at middleweight. Obviously not overall after last night. Israel's just been on such a run. But with everyone else being so recent, I feel like the Vittori Till fight just makes the most sense. And I do think by that time, hey, Whitaker and Costa, you know, you guys are rested and all that, you know. We could run that back twenty twenty two. Yeah, I mean that that seems that seems to map it out pretty pretty well there. I mean we're not uh, 
overflowing with options considering how exciting and what a big star Adesanya is, you know, it's just a, a little bit of wait and see, and that's fine. He probably wants some time to just rewatch his fight with Jan a million times. And, and um, yeah, the John Jones thing. <laughs> I can't remember what he tweeted, but it was like uh, something like, okay, you know, moving on with my life now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, because he doesn't have to deal with people talking about this fight anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. He gave it a shot, and he'll probably have another shot at some point. But right now, it's uh, go back, uh, go back to your division, and uh, you know, stand on the conveyor belt and let them feed you the next guy. Yeah, I, I will acknowledge. I mean, when you think about Robert Whitaker, beat Darren Till, beat Jared, beat Costa. I mean, I, I'm not saying, once again, it's not out of the question. I just feel like even with all that going on, I, unless he really is so convincing against Costa and we get a really good finish, I just feel like the real storyline is more of Adesanya's continued dominance rather than possibly like a round robin with uh, Rob and Izzy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, what to say about the co-main event, Natalie? Megan uh, showed up and, well, yeah, that was, that was that kind was of nice it. That was nice of her. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, did you see the walkout, like the clip that they posted of Megan showing up with her, uh, baseball jersey? No, I did I, not. I hate to. Uh, and I've said this, this should never be an indicator, but if I'm being honest, her eyes did not look the most focused in that clip. And I did wonder if this moment just got to her. Um, in terms of the fight itself, uh, I think that uh, she was a little shocked that Amanda took the fight to her so immediately. I really thought that the key to this fight is more patience for Amanda, if anything. I thought that, uh, look, you know, you're not going to get reckless. You don't want to go right into the power of this taller athlete. But Amanda Nunes really showed that, look, you know, just because I've been out six plus months, I've been working out, the stuff with my baby isn't distracting me, I'm here now. And so you put all that together. I was very impressed with how she was able to set up the overhand right. She was really starting to chop away with some vicious leg kicks. And then um, when you had that sequence when they got on the ground, I mean, look, uh, we knew that the ground was always going to be Megan's weak point. I was still just shocked at how easy it was and whether it was just a little bit of the moment, whether she was a little stunned and rocked a bit by Amanda's power, the fact is that was just really one-way traffic to the 10th degree in there. Yeah, man, it was uh, a little shocking that there was, like, zero feedback on Megan's side. It was just like, oh, uh, yeah, um, well... I'm going to stand here and see uh, see if maybe I can win the belt this way. Just waiting. Let's see what you got, Amanda Nunes. Um, she did look scared to me, actually. Uh, so I haven't seen that video you mentioned, but but I saw uh, something similar in her in her eyes once she was in there, once you know the ref told them, go ahead and fight. Uh, she looked timid. Um, her posture was a little bit um, drawn in, 
and she's got that big frame, you know, she, I thought she would stick her big arm out and at least, you know, <laughs> make Amanda duck under it to try and get in there, but she didn't. Uh, Amanda had zero fear and gave zero Fs. I mean, it was pretty clear. She wasn't worried about uh, 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 the power of Megan Anderson's punch or kick. You can see in her eyes, she was just like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of it was uh, fake it till you make it, but she didn't have to fake it for too long if, if that was the case at all. She went in there. She gave some pressure, and Megan folded. Um, when she took her down, it, as you said, it was pretty easy, shockingly easy. Uh, my husband thought, he said, I, I think Nunez took pity on Anderson. Um, not for, not for, or I should say, uh, took pity on herself, not, not for Anderson. She just didn't want to damage her hands. Um, she figured why, 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 why injure my hands? I can just, uh, I can just submit her because there was an opportunity there on the ground where she could have just plunged the heck out of her and, and got the fight called off that way, but she didn't. Very, very interesting, man. I mean, if you're Dana White, if you're matchmakers, like, what do you do now, right? Um, what does Nunez want to do? I, I didn't watch her. I don't know if she did a post-fight interview. I didn't watch it. But did she? if she did, did she give any inclination about her, her... You mean you didn't listen to me with my brilliant questions at the press conference? <laughs> I, I didn't t- get a chance to. You didn't. It's in my watch later on oh, YouTube. <laughs> I don't believe you. I think you... The way to support, bro. <laughs> Dang. I'm out here doing... Doing the hard work and y'all ain't even listening. <laughs> um, nah, so I brought that up with Amanda and with Dana. Um, I don't think Dana liked it as much, but I thought it was very obvious. And uh, look, they kind of came to the point. Amanda, if Amanda wants to defend the title, then when someone else arrives, Amanda will defend it. I'm going to say, reading between the lines, I think it's more of a case of if someone rises, then they will build, then they will do something for Amanda at 145 going forward. But they brought in two usual suspects, Megan, Felicia Spencer, Amanda really gave both of them the business. Um... Danielle Wolf, who I'll be speaking to this week, I, I acknowledge Tall, a great boxing pedigree behind her. She is, as of this podcast, 1-0. and mm-hmm. And I am aware that I'm talking about saying, hey, a 1-0 and fighter taking on the women's GOAT. And so, quite bluntly, do I see this being in the future? Right now, today, as we speak, no um this was megan's last fight on her contract um i'm not entirely convinced that megan will be back even if the division stays i think she might be like hey bellator has a place for me pfl has a place for me one championship has a place for me and i'll be more active more bantamweight so i can be a little more fresh blood in a place where you know i haven't already fought everybody and you know you're in this situation so I, I think that that's something to be said is that if someone arises, not the UFC will go looking for somebody, if that makes sense. And I did bring it up to Amanda. Hey, what do you think about your buddy Kayla Harrison when her contract is up at the end of this year coming over? That is, as of right now, nine months away. 
You gotta think Amanda's gonna fight somebody at Bantamweight, um, possibly soon. We'll talk, we'll address that, but I think that 145 as of right now is, um, if someone shows up, and when I say if, I mean a Kayla Harrison or someone of that nature shows up. Because I think the UFC has made it clear they're, they don't need to go looking for an opponent for Amanda. They will come to her if they really want it. So so they're just going to let her keep the belt. Like she doesn't have to vacate. They're not going to officially close the division. But if someone, some magical, skilled, you know, popular enough fighter comes along and gets signed by the UFC, they'll, they'll let Amanda Nunes fight at 145 or they'll you know they'll have her fight again at 145 yes that's uh i mean i know what that sounds like but that is completely correct (laughs) well it's good marketing because then you can continue to tout her as double champ forever and ever and ever whether she defends at 145 or not it's not her fault right um well and, and then she can keep doing 135 and uh that's it correct and i'd like to point out remember what we said uh early this year Last year, the Bantamweight title was not contested for once, and we I don't think I ever heard anyone bring it up. Why? Well, what, what the, what's the need to? Holly Holm? Been there. Jermaine? Been there. So-and-so? Yeah. So-and-so? I mean, come on. We know why we didn't talk about the Bantamweight title for the women, and it's the same at Featherweight, so... Um, right now, Amanda has something to do. Uh, Juliana Pena is, uh, apparently blowing up people's phones. Um, the thing with Juliana is, uh, coming off, so she didn't fight for a long time. I think almost two years after losing to Shevchenko. Her one fight was against Nico Montano, which... Everyone deserves credit for getting in there, but I think when you talk about the big picture, the Bantamweight division, you can't tell me that Nico was necessarily one of these top-level girls. I know she would, you know, technically her fight before was winning the vacant flyweight title, but I think that, you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, we've got a lot to talk about, but you put it in context, that was not an elite-level victory, to say the least. Right. And then losing the way she did to Jermaine, she did rally, but that was also not her best showing. She, I felt like she was lo- she was down two rounds to Sarah McMahon. I, I think she's being very opportunistic. But look, uh, I will say it again, that May pay-per-view is now ominously open. Can we see Amanda, you know, get in there and fight Juliana Pena at 135 in two months? Yeah, that's possible. Could they do a double header? Maybe the Peter Jan Aljo rematch? We'll get to that in a minute. But but before I move on, any more to add on Amanda Nunes and 145 or 135? Just that, yeah, what you're saying is is great. Give her um, Juliana Pena. I mean, she's fresh as a daisy. And uh, how long did the fight actually last? I don't know, 30 seconds? No, it was longer than that. But I mean, she I think didn't it was get touched. Under three minutes, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, let's go. I'm sure she wouldn't mind collecting another paycheck. She has got a cute little baby and a Versace onesie to pay for. <laughs> and, um, you know, my God. I mean, gap. find something from the Gap is where I draw the line. That's like as expensive as, as we'll go <laughs> for baby clothes. 
<laughs> it's a good life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, let to talk about it. Peter Jan, Aljamain Sterling. Um, I was very impressed with both men. Uh, Aljo, just his versatile attack. He was trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink at Peter. Um, he'd miss the takedown, go to the spin. He did that one often. Wasn't afraid to go for flying knees. Kept pushing for a takedown. Um, was really, I, I gave him the first round. And uh, I think that his pace, you know, he came out so strong and fired up against Pewter. Pewter Jan, though, man. You, you brought it up. I was like, the Terminator. That is what it felt mm-hmm. like. Just everything Aljo was doing. And Pewter, you would just hear that nice solid crack when he'd connect and i'm like my man that is one just very different kind of fighter like he doesn't do too much crazy but you can't touch him that defense that high guard man he he was rarely clipped and aljo was doing all this and pewter just ate it and kept cracking him you know throughout the fight he wasn't wholly successful um for example he didn't touch him as much as he touched aldo but um down the stretch you could see aljamain was starting to fatigue there are a few sequences i really thought that uh pewter was just gonna put it on him and you know he'd land those two or three shots that bounced aljo and that was gonna be a wrap um and then it, it happened and I'm not going to talk about that. I want to know your thoughts on the fight because the sequence is obviously going to be the majority of our conversation. Yeah, it was a great start for Aljo. Fast. He had a lot of pop in his in his uh, pep in his step, I should say. Uh, yeah, diverse attack, top, bottom, middle, side, spin around, doing all the things he could do. And uh, But Pierre Jan was not deterred. Now, um once some something happened that crap, I think he, I think Algermain got a good, good landed a good shot on Pewter, and I was like, oh, here we go, and you, you know, you just get him a little bit mad, and then he's just gonna turn it on, and he terminate it. He gets, he goes into Terminator mode, right, and he just pushes forward, fearless, and his his shots are worth, you know, ten times what Algermain's shots are worth. So you know, it was it was by my eye, it was. It started out well for Aljo and then just started decreasing uh, the chances of, of him getting a victory, you know, just with the decision was decreasing round by round. Um, but he was still in there. You know, he was still in it. He's still still a good fight. Um, he was getting tired, though. By the time we get to our the infamous sequence, he was he was getting tired. He was slowing down. Um, so would Piotr Jan have won anyway? Probably. Yeah. Um if it had gone all the way, but it didn't. And uh, how did you see it from uh, from from ground floor right there? The the finishing yes. sequence. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I I found that it was amongst the most unbelievable turn of events I can remember. I think uh, I can't really explain just how the energy just kind of um. Uh, just left the room you know what I mean it, it, you could just really feel it I think we were all like well what does this mean are they really gonna take his belt away or is Aljamain okay did he do it on purpose I mean that's a lot of emotions to process in real time with a lot of people when yeah. it's right there 
So um, all that aside, you know, just to say bluntly, it, it was quite the experience to say the least. Now, in terms of um, just how it happened, I mean, I, I think to me in the moment, it's like, well, he's pumped up. But then the real kicker was you're hearing, well, he was he was given the call to throw the knee. And then I'm like, why? Like, w what happened? Was his coach pumped up? Were they unaware of the rules? Um, I, I hate to say it, but because he's always, let's just say it, he's always got that killer instinct, right? Yeah. You have all these, you know, you're still processing all this information and the thought comes in, like, was he trying to have his Ivan Drago, if he dies, he dies kind of moment. And um, I want to address that. Uh, we did talk to Pewter backstage. And uh, if you watch the press, press conference, he's always so stoic. That's just his personality. I think that he's just got that vibe. Similar to, we've talked about it with Robbie Lawler. I mean, yeah. you know, he's kind of there to do business and all that. And that's it, which is fine. You know, everyone's different. But... If you've seen Pewter by now, you know how he tends to be. He's kind of at a level 50 all the time, no matter what you ask him. He looked sad. He looked <laughs> disappointed. He looked like there was a bit of shame, embarrassed, uh, just sorrowful for his team, for himself. And, you know, when he addressed us and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I could see, you know, a lot of emotion we don't usually get from him. And, um, you know, uh, so I want to address that. And we did, it kind of made it a point to push. It's like, for the record, you guys are all aware that was a, that's an illegal strike. And, you know, I think it's just heat of the battle. He wasn't processing things correctly. The coaches, I think in the moment, they just smelled the finish and got pumped up. But the fact is, he went for a strike that was illegal, and it wasn't a slip, it wasn't Aljo was moving down, and his fingers barely caught the canvas in time to be a grounded opponent. There was no controversy there. He had a clearly grounded opponent, and he went for it. Yeah, man, no controversy indeed. It was just, it was a wicked knee. I mean, it, was, there, it wasn't mid, it wasn't a mid-transition you know, Aldo was just, he had gone from one position to another and was, was fixed, you know, he was fixed and, uh, he wasn't going anywhere and the knee just whacked him and it was those terrible blows. He didn't see it coming. It torqued his head, you know, his head snapped back at a, at a rotated angle. I mean, that's concussion city. He, he couldn't get up. I mean, we all saw it. He was laying down, tried to get up a couple of times, couldn't do it. He was, you know, you can just see the cartoon stars around his head. Um, and, uh, you know, the rules are what they are. What I didn't like is that I really felt like he should have been evacuated from the octagon immediately. I don't know why the ref needed to consult the doctor and then the doctor needed to talk to I don't know who. I mean, it was pretty clear. He was concussed. He needed attention, medical attention. Do you really need the doctor's opinion? Do you really need the doctor to come and talk to Aljamain Sterling? Like, come on. That, it's so unfair that that's what has to happen, that the fighter has to have a say in, in that. I mean, it should just be, hey, that was an illegal shot. You are disqualified, and this fight is over. Goodbye. And that's it. It shouldn't be up for conversation, up for discussion. So those are the rules, I guess. Fine. But it's uh, it's 
it's not right, especially with a blow like that, man. And, and I know people are giving heat to, to Joe Rogan for having for doing the interview, but it wasn't his fault. And I think they even said, you know, Aljamain Sterling wants to do the interview. Like, we don't, we're not asking him to. He wanted to do it. And so they obliged. But the man needed to go to the hospital. <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming he didn't go to the uh, to the press conference, right? He went, he went straight to the hospital? Yes. Thank goodness. And, uh, I mean... When you're in there, it happens fast, but are you guys all looking at each other like, what the heck just happened, trying to make sense of it? Um, did you feel a sense of urgency, like for Aljamain Sterling to be taken out of there, or did the energy flow differently from your perspective? I think that it was such a weird thing because in the moment, you're like, what has taken them so long to call this fight? He is clear. Yeah. Everything about his body language said this sucker, th this was a wrap. I mean, I know it's a wild thing in the moment, but this fight is over. You know, it just is. So the fact that there was hesitation to call it, we were kind of like, that's where the what's going on uh, feelings came in and the, you know, just the talk backstage. And then uh, with the actual post-fight interview, yeah, there was that feeling when Joe Rogan talked to him, but progressively and slowly, there was his body language he was able to stand, receive the belt, toss aside the belt. And I, I do think that post-fight interview just went too long. But for sure, it was just an uncomfortable sequence to talk to him. I didn't think it was necessary. It just is what it is. Um, but yeah, th there was certainly a lot of that going on. Um, Aljamain Sterling is now the Bantamweight champion. That's going to go on his record. It's safe to say they need to run this back. And I, I will say more than any other fight that we have on the calendar, I really hope that, the, that nothing happens, that they're able to get this fight together and run it back properly soon. Because I just... You know what? I, I think Pewter got caught up in the moment and he was winning. And I think that... all In the context, I think he should get a chance to just rectify situation um i think like it, there's a consequence right and the consequence is he is now in this position and he's lost his belt i don't think the consequence should be well now you got to work your way back up to the title does that make sense yeah and then for aljo i mean look you deserve a chance to look if that's really your belt to have no controversy and you you don't want that shadow hanging over you. And what I want is that, hey, just we're, no one's talking about that. I'm better. We're going to run it back. And that's just the end of that. And, um, you know, I, I will say it was weird because of the sequence of events. And then you see, you know, Aljo posting photos with Marab and he's holding the belt and smiling. And I'm like, um... I don't know how to feel about that because at the end of the day yes he won that belt and the other it yes you're not supposed to knee guys when they're on the ground that that's not his fault that is by the rules his belt now so i get that but i just feel like there's a lot of mixed messages going on does that make sense yeah it makes sense it makes sense but it's like is the rule that you if you if you deliver an illegal blow you're disqualified or is it that if you deliver an illegal blow and your opponent cannot continue, you're disqualified. 
Correct. So, for so example, the, the uh, okay. so for example, with um, if you remember, Diego Sanchez got a mm-hmm. win. He was losing, and then the low blows kind of ended it, and uh, he got the win over Michel Pereira. Yeah. Um, other times the fight doesn't get stopped. For example, or you know, um, John Jones, Matt Hamill, uh, Dustin Poirier kind of had a little bit happen where. He was fighting Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez, yeah. Eddie and, I mean, the... Anthony Smith, John Jones, too, right? Yep. Uh, yes, exact same thing. Uh, that could have been a wrap, but Anthony Smith was able to recover. Aljo did not. So, like I said, mixed messages from Aljo. And it's like, well... Uh, like I said, Aljo did nothing wrong by the rules. That's his belt now. He He shouldn't feel ashamed of that. But at the same time, you put it in context of the bigger picture and it's like, uh, I'll say it. I don't know if there's a good guy, bad guy, right way or wrong way to feel about this when you put it all in context in the big picture. Huh. I will say once again, I, I don't think he did it on purpose. I think that he had a, there was a big collapse in the understanding of the rules from both his team, his coaches, and in the moment wanting to win that fight. And it was a big, important title fight, and he'd overcome a lot to get to that sequence where he could—he was probably a few strikes from a finish. It seems strange to me. A couple of things: one, that Piorian, like, I mean, it's COVID era, and so well, his last fight was also in 2020, right? Yeah. Or was in 2020? Yeah. Well, yeah. So what, I, what I'm getting at is that it's not like he's been a regular year in UFC where you're fighting in different locations and the rules of what a grounded opponent is change. This has been the same this whole time. So I, I I don't, it's hard for me to accept that, Oh, there was confusion. And my coaches told me like, no, man, you're a professional. You're the champion. Like you, you know, like I'm not going to buy that. You didn't know and that there was confusion. You know what you're doing. So what I, what I, dislike and that's this is a bigger conversation to have is that the decision is left in the hands of the injured opponent the injured party to decide like an illegal blow should just mean you're disqualified and that's the end of the fight because then when you put it in the in the in the um, injured party's hand then then it becomes a how tough are you come on man uh okay you won the belt but why are you celebrating You, you didn't win it the right way you know and that's not fair to Aljo. I believe him. It didn't look like he could stand up at all. He was pretty discombobulated. He was almost disgusted with the belt being wrapped around his waist. He didn't want it. He dropped it right there in the octagon. Um, probably the picture was his coaches and everyone telling him, like, hey, man, like, these are the rules and you won, period. Don't be ashamed. Just you're, you won. You were the better fighter uh, that night because you didn't break the rules. And that counts for something. So I kind of disagree with you a little bit about the feeling I'm getting from you about him sending mixed messages. Like, I think it's fine to take a picture with the belt and if it gets posted or you post it yourself, fine. Um, You know, after time passes, you kind of start to put a new perspective on things like that. And you're not going to sit with your head in your hands and, and bemoaning the, the circumstances that brought you the belt. Like, okay, now I'm the freaking champion, and now I got to act like the champion. So let's go. You want to fight again? Okay, fine. But I'm not going to hang my head down anymore. It's You just got to move on with your life. And so I, I think that's what he was doing. 
in, in those pictures that you see of him with the belt. Um, but, you know, let's not get it twisted. He, he still didn't want to win that way. And and there's going to be a rematch, right? I think Dana White said as much. Like, that's that's just that's just what's going to happen. Yep, exactly. I think that's where we're at. <sighs> it was a wild night. And I think, yeah, his perspective is changing. And, hey, the rematch is even bigger than the first fight now. Yeah. And here I we mean, are. Let's do it. Um, rapid fire, Islam Makachev against Tony Ferguson. Here for it or something else? Oh, um, Makachev. I'm glad you, <laughs> first of all, I'm glad you said Makachev. It's like, uh, you know, it's one of those names that like half the UFC staff says one way and half say the other way. Um, but I guess, yeah, that's cause you know, John Anik's going by the, they're the, the fighter's pronunciation, right? Okay. Yeah. But if there's a K in there, man, I'm going to pronounce the K. I think it's like, does this count the same as Habib? Because the K is in the middle of the name as opposed to the beginning. I don't know, but I say Khabib. I mean, there's a K, bro. <laughs> Why are you going to put a K there? The hardest sound in the in the English language. Why are you going to put a K there if you don't want me to pronounce it? I'll notice sometimes I say it so fast that it's like sometimes I do the K. Sometimes it's really just the H. Anyway, um, him versus Tony. Because we've got to wrap it up on our show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that's a tough fight for Tony Ferguson, who's not, you know, who's in a little bit of a slump right now. And he's going to want, I think, I know UFC doesn't officially do tune-ups, but I think maybe Tony Ferguson deserves a tune-up. And Islam is not that fight. He's not that opponent. So I don't like it for Tony, but it makes sense for the division. Yeah, I, I would prefer different fights for both of them, really. Um, I think that when you really have um, Islam, you got RDA up there, maybe even Charles Oliveira, the way he's fighting. Um, you know, and you look at the rest of the guys who are already taken, I think, right? So that's where I, I stand on it. Um, Tony, yeah, I think he's looking for somebody else not on a surge. But now you have the aspect Habib saying he wants that fight for Islam, and I'm like... Man, I love that storyline. So it's quite it's quite something because I do feel like Islam is one of those guys. I know he's not ranked too high, but he gets a win. He's probably considered a lot higher than whatever number he has tomorrow. So right. Um, outside of that, uh, we touched on it. Rockic is now up there in the light heavyweight division. I think that it's just a wild night. The prelims got popping, and then we got here. So. It was one of those nights, Natalie. What else can we say? Yeah, I think that sums it up nicely. Uh, what do you think about this? Dana White pushing for events in Texas. So the governor said, yes, we're open. No masks. No, none of this. And then the, you know, so that's him at the state level. All the city officials, the mayors and all that are saying, no, 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 no. Not so fast. We are not on board. You better show up with a mask when you go to work on monday so there's a lot of conflict there it looks like dana really wants to do it what do you think about that if they can get it somewhere done in texas they should just do it uh, i mean we were talking about the canelo alvarez fight last week briefly and it seemed like a full crowd now probably because we haven't seen a real full crowd in a long time that you put five people in a room and it's like oh my god look at this amazing crowd so the miami crowd though was 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 happening and it was fun and uh, it was fun to watch a fight. 
and a fight that had an exciting finish and to hear a real live crowd reaction. So if if the UFC, who's already proven to, to be able to operate fully in the time of COVID, the first ones to do it in the sports world, uh, if they can, if they want to go to Texas and 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 they can find a way, find a city that's going to let them do it. I say let them do it. Let's have some fans. Let's uh, let's get back in the uh, let's get back to the 2019 vibes as as soon as we can. The sooner the better. Yeah, I think that um, it's encouraging. Once again, uh, my fear is always look. I, I know we all want it back to normal. Uh, obviously. I just always fear we get into a situation, we kind of rush it because it's kind of like the crack in the dam. The second one shows up, the whole river is about to go through and take out the town. You know what I mean? I always worry about that is that, look, when people won't accept a gradual opening, they're kind of just going to push it all at once. And then, you know, we could have a situation where we get too many people sick because it is still getting some people right. So, oh, yeah. That's a, that's my one fear, but uh, it's always encouraging signs after all we've been through. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little weary of good news lately. <laughs> I think it's, uh, <laughs> okay. if I'm being honest. So I just I want it back, the, you know, without having to worry about it. I'll say it. Um, the next one, uh, Hamza Chamayev gets on Instagram and said, essentially, the show's over, guys. Thanks for playing. Dana White said, no, no, no. Season two starts this June. Hamzat was just uh, um, struggling with a workout and got emotional. Um, yes, we did hear about uh, the uh, the dictator who apparently uh, contacted Hamzat too. That was a part of the story. Um, but the fact is, Hamzat, I mean, as of right now, I think he said he's retired still. But, you know, it looks like he may still fight. Just what are your thoughts on that whole in a couple hours, that flip-flop of everything. Uh, you know, just generally, though, it, it sucks for him to have that feeling. Like, we've all been there to some degree or the other where you're coming off a bad flu and you just can't get your gear spinning the way you used to. It takes a while. Now, this COVID monster is an entirely different thing, and we've been hearing a lot about the long haulers, the fe- the you know lingering side effects and the... the never-ending fatigue, the brain fog, all these terrible things that, you know, can be extra frustrating for someone who uses their body for a living, expresses themselves with their body. And so I feel for the guy. I can understand him feeling like, screw this, like I'm I'm never going to be the same. Even if I get better, I'll never be the same, and I don't want to fight if I'm not the same. So hopefully he does get to a place where he feels like, he's going to be able to perform to his liking. Um, and you, you better believe that Dana White is going to do whatever he can, whatever's in the power of the UFC to get him back to that place. They're just going to ask for his patience, which, you know, he wasn't providing uh, when this happened. And, and that's why he got emotional, right? He wasn't supposed to be working out. He's on a steroid prednisone. That stuff will knock you, knock you down pretty fast. So um, he wasn't following doctor's orders. If he does, um, and hopefully everything works according to plan as far as the treatment, then, you know, he's going to have the full backing of the UFC. And they probably will kind of give him that tune-up treatment that they don't usually give to anybody else because they're really high on him and they've got a little soft spot for him because um, he's struggling so hard with COVID. So 
I think we'll see him come around by the end of the year, but it's going to be a while. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think he's done at all. I think that he's uh, still got fight left in him. But yeah, I, I acknowledge it has been a difficult time for him. And um, yeah, just that entire uh, flip of the script there was like, whoa, you know, like you when you see that, you talk about easily one of the most intriguing prospects of the last few years. And, you know, you hear like, oh, he may be done. And it's like, that was a shock. And then obviously the news comes out and then it's like, uh, I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, you know what? I almost need to see them tomorrow. You know, I need to see yeah. them get on video. Say, Brett Okamoto, get out there and, you know, get some get some cameras. I can't be doing this. He said, he said, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just I want to make sure I don't miss anything. Oh. Uh, UFC, they parted ways with both Dos Santos and Overeem. What were your thoughts on that? I was actually shocked. Um, shocked initially because they're just, they're like synonymous with, um, well, not just UFC, but, you know, mostly lately UFC, right? Of course, they've been, they're legends of the sport and they've been around and, and other promotions, especially Overeem. But, I mean, these guys are big UFC namestays. And so, um shocking but then it's like okay well look at the record the recent performances it makes more sense to me for Overeem than JDS but I mean they've both taken been in a lot of wars and taken some beatings and well JDS has been more in wars and and taking his beatings that way Overeem has been like on the receiving end of some pretty serious and and you know iconic knockouts and so so both of them have been through it long time veterans and you know UFC is looking to save some bucks here and there and you, you look at it on paper and you say okay well we have to pay them this much to fight and they're not winning their fights and we can how many new fighters can we buy with what we're paying these two guys and so it's just business right and so I, I feel pretty strongly that both Overeem and JDS are going to find a home somewhere else, probably Bellator, because they're they're doing cool things with, with the, their uh, bigger divisions. And, um, I mean, I don't know, Fedor, Overeem, like, could you, you're going to have to educate me on this. Have they ever fought? Nope. Okay, so wouldn't they that They came be close, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Um, to be honest, I really thought... Overeem would call it a day when when you bring up the Bellator thing if he really if he's like you know what I got three more in me he wanted to reach his number I think uh, it's like you know what okay let, let's see it JDS because he's younger I give him a little more of that but even then I just um I acknowledge that it, it hasn't been the best time for JDS and for Overeem I acknowledge that he was already you know, he he was aware he was marching toward the end of the tunnel, right? Yeah. So uh, I acknowledge that. I do think there's a place for JDS somewhere, whether it's Japan or the Bellators and the PFLs here for sure. I think he'd add a lot of, uh, he'd be fresh blood um, in either division, in either promotion, I mean. With Overeem, um, you bring up a great point with the Fedor thing. If he really wants it, if they really pay him, I could see it. But if he's not getting those right off the bat, I could see him calling it a day. 
And um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'll say this uh, for I don't think I've ever. Yeah, I don't think it ever comes up on any of my videos. But like I have the original UFC on Fox up here that I was lucky enough to attend live. And it's Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos. And you think about how long he's been at it. And yeah, I'll tell you right now, I still remember that time. This UFC newcomer, according to Mike Goldberg, um, <laughs> came out there and he just uppercut from the underworld and sent you know Fabricio Verdum to the shadow realm and I was like that dude is gonna be a problem <laughs> and so to think about his UFC journey of the last you know probably more you know almost the same time I've been a fan probably a little less but uh yeah and then Overeem you remember him knocking out Brock Lesnar and it's the best biggest UFC debut ever pay-per-view friday night and it's like dude that was it's always interesting when you reach that point for guys like that but um yeah that's just where the division is at right now yeah i mean um yeah the overing thing is it is kind of like well you kind of would, wouldn't mind seeing him take a nice walk off into the sunset as far as the fight game goes but i kind of doubt it <laughs> and so i you know, with this still being early news, uh, essentially, I, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if both guys ended up at Bellator. Uh, PFL is a little tougher because, you know, it's um it's like a fringe division. It's like a fringe promotion in that you know it's not it's not even top three. I would say one is is number three, um, but they're they're relatively like fresh, youngish, still in their prime competitors right i think where you're more likely to see these guys go would be bellator or or maybe one championship um i think pfl would be a little bit more difficult for uh, for both guys and bellator is just really smart with their matchmaking and i think they'd find some good fights there and if they wanted to call it at that point, it would be a nice way to, to part ways, you know, be treated with respect. And not that they're not treated with respect at the UFC, but they'll be going into a promotion as like these mega legends. Um, I, I really do hope that if they continue, that's where they end up. Yeah, I think that uh, pretty much sums it up. I mean, like I said, I, I could see one more for either of them, more for JDS, but uh, I like what you outlined for him and for Overeem there. And, um, yeah, they will, you know, I think they'll make an announcement soon. They have to already be getting offers on the free agent sure, market. Yeah, right? Also yeah. with Beltor coming back, for sure, in May. Um, real quick, Otman Azaitar. <laughs> he said, okay, so I'm going to tell you this thing that happens. We're on media day and Ali Abdelaziz is there. They told me Henry Cejudo was there on fight night, which I okay. found interesting, just as a side note. Yeah. Uh, when um MacLife said uh like is that Cejudo and I'm like, wouldn't that be something? He was there the same night as Pewter and Aljo. Hmm. <laughs> Just saying, if yeah. that if that was him. Um, but Otman Azaitar, managed by Ali, he sees us doing interviews and he goes like, "Hey guys, I'm back," and of course we all look at him and then no one's the one guy. With the voice, he didn't project it enough. I wish he did. But one of them, it takes that split second as he's walking away to say, what's in the bag? <laughs> you know, and I was like, you know, we want to know. 
And then later, right before we start someone else's scrum, he Otman comes back. He's holding up like a white, it looks like a laundry bag. But he holds it up. It's like, hey, guys. And he just points at it. And then he goes back into the car. Wow. Yes. And I was like, well, <clears throat> he's certainly leaning into it. Yeah. Um, I, I talked to Laura Senko about this. We do not believe it was potatoes. Bro, of course it wasn't potatoes. Give me Maybe a some grass, but no potatoes. I mean, a potatoes? Of all the things you could come up with, potatoes, <laughs> bro. <laughs> yeah. Why are they even trying to sell us this potato story? If you told me French fries, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. Because the French fries in Abu Dhabi probably aren't that good. But they um, were all right. I didn't. <laughs> no, no, you I'm know what? Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember, I've been there. <laughs> I know. So, I, uh, yeah, you could tell us how was yeah. it. I'm sure everything was delicious. It seems like it would be. Um, yeah. I just don't know why you would lie and say potato. Like, <laughs> we can't waste our time on this. I know, but I could spend an hour talking about potatoes, what really was in the bag, and this guy has some balls on him to be going around to the media and making jokes about it. Um, hey, whatever, man. It'd be nice, uh, you know, must be nice to, to literally like break all the rules during a pandemic and then still not lose your job over it. So good for him. I just wanted to tell me what it was. Take off the glasses and look me in the eye. Um, but yeah, so MMA's great mysteries, yeah? Jesus. Um, uh, and here we are. You know what? I got to say, as big as this Saturday was I gotta be honest there's a little bit energy left to know Leon Edwards is coming back this Saturday yeah Bilal Muhammad um so where do I start with this fight both of them criminally underrated very solid contenders Leon uh, when you think about how many uh, testament to how great Kamaru Usman is Leon Edwards has the second longest win streak, and I think he's approaching double digits. That's how much he's been winning. Um, Bilal Muhammad, you know, he's been in the UFC a minute, just hasn't really had that breakthrough fight. Both of them very well-rounded, very multifaceted fighters. Just what are your thoughts going into this one? I stand by our, uh, what I said last time, which is the, the thing I'm most interested in is like which, um, not strategy, but, you know, which um, circumstance is going to be the winner here. Is it the guy who's had the long, long layoff and had fights canceled and had setback after setback? Or the guy who just fought, who just won and is turning it around really fast to fight a, a you know, Dangerous opponent, at least last we saw, but again, nobody knows, right? How Leon Edwards is going to show up, how, how, um, you know, ring rust, if you're Dominic Cruz, it doesn't exist. If you're Conor McGregor, yeah, inactivity really does affect you. So inactivity versus fresh activity. And um, is this going to be a big moment for Leon Edwards to remind everyone, yeah, guys, y'all must have forgot, right? 
or is it going to be a big moment for Bilal Muhammad to say, what is it? What is his nickname? Remember, remember the name? Remember the name, yeah. Remember the name, you know. So whose whose name are we going to remember at the end of uh, at the end of US, UFC Vegas 21? And uh, and that's 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 interesting to me for sure. You know what? Um, it's very true in terms of the X's and O's. I mean, when you have them, I'm watching Bilal. His ability to kind of push the pace forward. Um. He's a, I got to look at the stats, but I want to say just by a little bit, he's actually a little shorter than Leon, but he's just so compact. You look at his arms, he's a very, you know, just a thickly built welterweight. Mm -hmm. He carries it all in those shoulders and torso. Um, He fought a great fight against Diego Lima, a great pace, great output, kept pushing forward. I think that poses a lot of problems. I think for Leon, this is... Above all else, a big test of one, how much has he been working on his game in this time off? And two, can he deliver, you know, after all he's been through and the setbacks and the COVID? Can he go five rounds, possibly with a tough guy, and ring rust not affect him or not affect him enough to, you know, really cost him that fight? I got to give him credit. He's proven his durability. He's proven his savvy. He's a guy who's consistently gotten better. It's never drastic. He's not one of the. He's not an Israel Adesanya. I'm not going to tell you he's that. <laughs> but those little things that it, a fighter can improve on, he honestly does them. Bilal's more physical. Once again, you know, got a good bag of tricks himself. It's a very tough one to call. Very tough one to call. So I'm going to let you call it. <laughs> you passed it to me to call. Happy to. Uh, in spite of all my questions, you know, who's going to be the man? Who's the name we're going to remember? Long layoff? No layoff? Uh, I think Leon Edwards is going to remind us all who he is, why he's ranked three, third, I should say. And uh, I think he's going to finish Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I think, uh, let's see, what was I thinking? Third round? No. I'm going to say second round, TKO. God help me. But I feel like it's going to be a special night for Leon Edwards. Ooh. You know what? Um, I like Bilal Muhammad. I think that he's a guy who's like, look, I'm just trying to get you guys to see me and keep winning my fights and doing my thing. I think it was gangster him to step up. I like that he's... I I wish both of these guys could win, honestly, because I feel like, the, you know, they're two of the more underappreciated guys who got great skills and great personalities. Oh, man, I, I'm with you. I think the intangibles are there for Leon Edwards. I don't see a scenario where he's not do or die to win this fight after all he's been through. And yeah, I think a guy as frustrated as he must be and as talented you got to think that he's going to bring that extra... St- he's going to bring the right sauce, Natalie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's going to bring the Dustin Poirier hot sauce. Oh. And he's going to deliver. I'm with you there. Um, Very multifaceted. I, I could see this actually going to decision. And I'm going to give Bilal that credit. I think it's going to be a tough, gritty five-rounder. But Leon prevails. Okay. Leon Edwards um, by decision. By decision. 
There we go. Uh, Like I said, I wish they could both win for what it would mean to them, but uh, the game is cruel that way sometimes, too. (laughs) Um, Natalie, we've had a very monster show. Um, I think well-deserving after a fight like after an event like last night. And can you believe next week it's taken them three whole months to get back in the cage, but we're finally going to see Kevin Holland come back and he's taken on a tough contender the veteran Derek Brunson what are your thoughts as we kind of round home going into the end of March we're gonna yeah. go to third base <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's gonna it's a it's a it's an action-packed March for sure and uh wallet busting also but uh you know it is what it is you love the UFC you do what you gotta do I mean, uh, but you could, far... you know, invite some friends, family who really love yes. it, and you know that you know, like they're they COVID tested, and, yes. <laughs> through oh, the yes. window. Yeah, yeah, I just saw a COVID kit at Rite Aid today for ninety nine dollars. Home See? test. So there you go. I just need ten of them. You know what? Um, hey, you just gotta convince your family to pitch in to watch a pay per view. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. The, like your household. Yes, my, anyway. my son better start working. So well, he... you got a husband. You could be like, well, you got to go have these with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, Kevin Holland. I, yeah, I'm just uh, excited. I don't know when's the last time I saw Derek Brunson fight. I feel like it's been a minute, eh? Would have been uh, uh, last summer against Edmund. Okay. And so, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that's that'll be interesting. And Kevin Holland, right? Like, this is the guy we want to see. We want to see more of. We saw a lot of him last year. Let's, uh, let's keep the train rolling. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Derek's got the power. Um, he's kind of just had that quiet turning of the corner. He's on a decent win streak right now. He's fought so many tough, you know, tough top guys, but man, if it isn't, it just doesn't feel like Kevin Holland's moment, right? It's, it just feels like he's having that time right now. And, you know, it, it just is one of those things is like he's so dynamic when he's on that I'm just really looking forward to this one. So, and by the way, have you seen the poster for them that UFC tweeted out? No. It's good. Derek Brunson's chill and then Kevin Holland because he talks so much is kind of like shouting into the camera. Oh. They're both facing forward. I like it. I really do. So I'll have to check it out. It's going to be a good one. Um, Natalie, we'll be back next week. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a crazy week for MMA news, personally, but okay, I'm going to just throw that out there right now before we go. But um, guys, thank you for listening. Take care. We'll see you next week.